0: Hey, family of God, Jesus is the king who brings peace, which is good news for disciples of Jesus who seek to know him, to trust him, and to obey him. Look, in today's incredibly volatile environment, it's really easy to start looking at other places for our peace. We can look to the Oval Office for our peace. We can try to look to the halls of Congress for our peace. We can look to the National Institutes of Health or the Treasury Department for our peace. We can look for a $1,200 check coming in the mail for our peace. We can go to Walmart looking for peace. We can stay home looking for peace. We can look for peace in our health, in our jobs, in our families. But fam, the only one who can bring lasting peace is Jesus. Jesus is the King who brings lasting peace. This Sunday, April 5th, 2020, is the Sunday we celebrate as Palm Sunday, where Christians around the world remember Jesus' triumphant walk, entrance into Jerusalem. We're going to look at that passage from the book of Luke today. Gavin's going to read it in just a minute. But Before that, I want to say a prayer for us. Pray that God would lead us in this time. Our Father, thank you for your word that promises peace. Help me to communicate your word faithfully, and I pray that it would help your people. Help us to hear your truth today and to grow in your love. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.
1: Hello, family of God. The scripture reading for today is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 44. Read along with me. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you, because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the word of the Lord.
0: In our passage today, we find Jesus going up to Jerusalem. Now, back in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. And since then, he's been marching intently, zealously, unstoppably toward Jerusalem. And now he's finally at the point where he is entering into Jerusalem. And this is a moment of triumph, but it's also a moment of suffering. Let's look first at the triumph. We see Jesus here riding into Jerusalem on a colt. And we know it's the colt of a donkey because In Zechariah chapter 9, which some of the other gospel writers refer to, we see that this moment has been prophesied from ages before. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, we read these words. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble. And mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. What Zechariah had prophesied was that God was going to rescue his people. He was going to do it through a king, a king who was going to set up a dominion of peace from one, set of, one side of the world to the other side of the world, a worldwide rule of peace. But when this king came in, he wasn't going to march into Jerusalem on a military steed. He wasn't going to march in with pomp and circumstance. He was going to come humble and mounted on a donkey. So this moment in Luke chapter 19 is incredibly special because it's a, tri- tri- a triumphant moment, a moment in which the king who was expected is coming. We know that because he's riding on a donkey. Now, we also know that because of what his disciples are, are yelling at the top of their lungs, what they're singing as loudly as they can as he comes in. Look with me at verse 38. It says, The whole multitude of his disciples are saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, this song that this multitude is singing is not a song that they're making up on the fly. This is a song that they have sung many, many times. This is straight out of Psalm chapter 118. Now, Psalm chapter 118 is a psalm that would have been sung annually by the Jewish people whenever a king was reinstated on their throne. This was a celebratory psalm, a hymn that was dedicated to the reigning monarch. And if you listen in verse 25 of Psalm 118, you're going to hear reverberations of what we just heard. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. You see, whenever the the people would sing this this hymn, what they were doing is recognizing that God is supreme. But this king is set up by God to reign. And they're recognizing that this reign is a good reign. This is a reign that is in the name of the Lord. This is the reign of a king who who is acting out the character of God who is bringing peace where there has been distress. And so when this multitude of disciples in Luke 19 begins to exclaim Psalm 118, what they're doing is they're saying, Hosanna, the messianic king who we've been waiting on to bring us peace has finally come. So we know this is a triumphant moment because Jesus is riding in on a donkey to fulfill the Zacharyan promise prophecy. We know this is a triumphant moment because this is fulfilling the Davidic promise in Psalms that, that, that this king is going to, is going to come in the name of the Lord. But it's also a fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy. Look at how Jesus responds in Luke 19 after the Pharisees dismiss him. He says, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones Would cry out. What Jesus is saying is that, listen, if these folks around here, if they weren't shouting, if they weren't singing, if they weren't rejoicing, if they weren't praising, all of creation would praise me now. And what he's doing, I believe, is riffing off what we read in Isaiah chapter 55, which when we start in verse 12 reads like this it says, For you shall go out in joy. And be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. See, God is saying is that when his Messiah comes, all of creation is going to to burst into song and be renewed. And what Jesus is saying is that moment is here now. Jesus is the triumphant king of peace who's bringing his peace to bear for his people. But this isn't just a moment of triumph. This is also a moment of suffering. See, throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been alluding to this moment. He's been waiting for this moment. Ever since chapter 9 verse 51, when he turned his face toward Jerusalem, he's been thinking about this moment. But he hasn't been referring to this moment as a moment necessarily of triumph. He's been referring to this as a moment of suffering. We first see that in Luke chapter 13. One place we see that is chapter 13. Luke 13. Verse 33, Jesus is again intently headed toward Jerusalem, and he says, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. It cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. What Jesus is saying is the only place prophets are killed is Jerusalem. So that's where I'm going. Now, this is an ominous thing for Jesus to say. He's saying, I'm not going there just for the celebration. I'm actually going there to suffer like the prophets suffered. He continues that a few chapters later in Luke chapter 18. Starting in verse 31, it says, He's taking the 12, he said to them, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked, and shamefully treated and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day, he will rise. Jesus is saying that, "I'm going to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem means the city of peace. I'm going to the city of peace as the king of peace. But when I go there, I'm not going to find peace. What I'm going to find is flogging and mocking and spitting and crucifixion. That's where I'm going. I'm going on a mission of peace, but I'm going there to find suffering. This is a pathway to punishment for Jesus. And we see him lamenting that reality of what he's going to find in Jerusalem in verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, He wept over it. Now, this is Jesus in the midst of a multitude of disciples who are celebrating his arrival. He nears the city and begins to weep. Why is he weeping? He says, verse 42, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. See, he knows that when he gets into the city of peace, he's not going to find peace there. Because what he's going to find is not the appropriate majestic reception that is fitting for the king of peace. What he's going to find is rejection and dismissal and crucifixion. He's going to find suffering. And because of that, he pronounces judgment. And this is the judgment that comes for anybody that rejects the king of peace. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your, time of your visitation. Jesus is saying because you don't recognize me as the King of Peace, judgment, destruction is coming your way. Now, there's there's two ways that people in this story reject the coming of the king of peace. And I believe that that those two ways are ways that we still see people today rejecting the king of peace. One is a moral rejection, and one is an immoral rejection. If you look with me in verse 39, we see that some of the Pharisees in the crowd don't take like the disciples and celebrate and rejoice and praise Jesus when he comes. But they say to Jesus, teacher. Notice they don't call him king like the disciples do. They call him just teacher, any old rabbi, they say, rebuke your disciples. See, these moral leaders, these Pharisees, these who are the prime examples of what religion should do, these are those who who keep the law of God, what they think of as perfectly, but in just a few days are going to reject Jesus and send him off to the Romans to be crucified. These Pharisees see themselves as already moral, as the bringers of peace, the peacemakers. They reject and dismiss the king of peace because they're not willing to let go of their own self-righteousness. So one way that we can reject Jesus is through our morality. We can dismiss Jesus by saying, hey, I'm moral enough without Jesus. I don't need a savior. I can work up to my own standards. And this, this can plague non-Christians and Christians. Sometimes sometimes those of us who grew up in church can, can think that, that, that we can earn our own peace just by doing enough good things, by reading my Bible enough, or going to church enough, or praying enough. I can somehow earn God's peace. But what the Bible says is that we can never earn peace with him. That the only way we can have peace is because the king of peace rode in on a donkey, and then a few days later was crucified, took the punishment that all of us earned. See, none of us are moral enough to keep God's law perfectly. But Jesus, the perfect son of God, did. And then he took the punishment that we deserved. He died on the cross for our sins. And then on the third day, he rose again and said that if you just turn to me and trust me, then I will give you my righteousness in exchange for your punishment. I will give you what I deserve because I took what you deserved. Now, that kind of grace is free. None of us can work up enough, have enough righteousness, do enough good things to earn that kind of peace with God. But Jesus on the cross achieved it for us. So, whereas the moral leaders here dismiss Jesus, we don't have to if we just trust in him. But the moral leaders aren't the only ones who rejected Jesus here. There's a character in this story who doesn't even appear in the story. And those are the immoral, the pagans. Some would even say the Romans would be these. That They're the ones who, who know they have rejected God. They're living life any old way they please, trying to serve any old God they want. And they know they're not right with Jesus, the incarnate son of God. They know they're rejecting the king of peace because they've already given their allegiance to another. They've given their allegiance to Caesar. These Romans don't even show up in this story. So whereas the moral leaders dismiss Jesus and reject him, these pagans just miss Jesus and therefore reject him. And a few days later, they're gonna crucify him on one of those one of their crosses. You can be immoral or moral and miss Jesus, reject Jesus by missing him or dismissing him. But the way that disciples of Jesus receive Jesus is by faith. And surrender. Now, I want to bring your attention to my favorite characters from this uh, story, besides Jesus, of course. Now, I want to start at the beginning of this story. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's he's somewhere around Bethphage or Bethany. He's up on the Mount of Olives, and he sends two of his disciples, unnamed disciples, to go, and they're supposed to go into the next village. And when they when they walk into the village, they're going to see a young Colt who's never been ridden on, who's tied up. And Jesus says, I want you to go untie that colt. And then I want you to bring that colt to me. But if anybody, if you see anybody there and anybody comes and asks you, why are you untying the colt, what I want you to say is, the Lord has need of it. And they bring it to me. Now, these disciples are pretty impressive because This is a a massive risk. I want you to go into this village. I want you to see a colt that's tied up. Clearly, it has owners. I want you to untie it, and I want you to bring it to me. And if anybody asks you what you're doing, just say the Lord has need of it, and they're going to be fine. That would be like somebody saying, hey, I want you to go over to to Walmart. I want you to walk into the parking lot. You're going to see a brand spanking new Chevy Cobalt. Uh, two door. Um, the door's gonna be unlocked, key's gonna be in. I want you to go and I want you to start the car and bring it to me. And if anybody, if you see anybody there who, who asks any questions about it, just say, uh, the owner, uh, needs it. And so these two disciples take this massive risk to go and jack this donkey and they, 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 they go into the village and they find it just as Jesus said it was and, They go, they see this colt who is tied up, they untie it, the owners come out. Now I want to point out, these are my favorite, these owners are my favorite characters in this story. Because owners in Greek is the word kurios. Kurios is the same title that we see used for Jesus over and over again, which is the word Lord. So these disciples get into the village and the owners, the kurioses, Of this donkey, this one young colt, which means these are probably some pretty poor characters. If they have to share ownership of this one young colt, they come out and they say, Why are you untying uh, the colt? And the disciples look at them and say, The Lord has need of it. Now, these are the lords. These are the owners. And they're supposed to say, The owner needs it. Can you imagine being the owners of this colt? Two dudes run up on your colt and say, and start untying it. You come out and say, hey, why are you untying our colt? And they say, the owner needs it. At that point, what is your response? Your response can either be, you don't have any idea what you're talking about. I've paid good money for this colt. This is my colt. You can't take this colt from me. Or to recognize the Lord. The real owner of this colt needs it and then surrender it to him. These owners are my favorite characters because unlike the Pharisees and unlike the Romans who reject Jesus by dismissing him and missing him, these poor owners in this village, somewhere between the Mount of Olives and Jerusalem, surrender everything they have to Jesus. They surrender their cult. And that cult becomes the cult that fulfills the Zechariah prophecy, that lets Jesus fulfill the Davidic prophecy and the Isaiah prophecy that the Messiah is going to come triumphantly into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And he's going to do it because he wants to bring peace. Disciples of Jesus, I believe that in this time of difficulty, of brokenness, of hurt, of sickness, of uncertainty, Jesus wants to come to us with His peace. He always wants to come to us with His peace, but in this time He wants to come to us with His peace, inviting us once again to surrender ourselves to Him. When Jesus comes to us, just like when He comes to Jerusalem, He comes weeping over the chaos, the sin, the death that he finds there. And he comes promising victory over the sin and the death in our lives and victory over the sin and the death in our world. But he comes offering peace. But that peace is only peace that we get when we submit to his kingly reign. If we choose not to submit to his victory, then that peace comes looking like a sword. It comes with destruction and brokenness and more chaos. But if we choose to submit to his kingly reign, then his coming looks like feasting, like dancing, like the celebration of all creation. It looks like the king of peace. God bless you.